Hello, I greet you from the believers at, uh, in Jesus Christ at Timberline Old Town and Everyday Joe's in Old Town Fort Collins to the believers at Timberline Road and the believers in Timberline Windsor. Windsor, my hometown. Hello, Windsor. I drove a half hour to speak to people that are four minutes away from me. <laughs> it's true. All right. This series, At the Table, about the meals Jesus shared with people uh, as told in the Gospel of Luke. So if you're following along with the bulletin, the outline, turn that over. And I need to explain something. Uh, Most of this outline and most of these blanks, if you do that, if you write in and take notes, we will not be writing in most of them until... In fact, all, yeah, most of them until the tail end of, of my talk. So, but I do want to do this. One thing for us to do together. First sentence. On a scale of one to ten, with one being hardly ever, and ten being very much so, circle the number that indicates how humble I am. Please do not look at your neighbor's answer. Swap with your neighbor and have them circle how humble you are. Did you do it? Today, the sermon, my talk, is titled Humble Pie. Who, who here has ever tasted humble pie? <laughs> it's, it's worse than shoe fly pie. It's worse than minced meat pie, and that's pretty bad. It tastes terrible, but it's good for us. There's this question. If you could have dinner with anyone who ever lived, with whom would you want to have dinner or share a meal? And answers like Einstein and uh, Bill Murray and persons like that are given. And lots of times people say Jesus. As I have read through the stories in Luke again of Jesus eating with people, not so much do I want to have a meal with Jesus. It's very disruptive, and most of the time there is a surprise helping of humble pie for the guests. Humble pie is always a surprise. How do you get humble? How does one get humble? And if one is humble, if I asked you, are you humble? It would not be humble to say yes. If one is humble, does one know it? Can I get humble if I pray to God for it? How do we get humble? It seems like there are a couple ways to get humble. You humble yourself or you get humbled, right? Can it be a practice? Is it a a supernatural transformation? I feel particularly equipped to talk about humility because I'm I'm good at it. (laughs) I've eaten a lot of humble pie. I've eaten a lot of humble pie. I really have. 
I've thought about it quite a bit. One morning this week, I was riding my bike around the lake in Windsor where, where I live. And uh, there were birds, pelicans, and I don't know what else. Gobblers. I don't know what. I don't... <laughs> Hoot owl. I, but these, bir- these birds of the water. And there were dogs. And I was just looking at these birds being birds, you know. And it was, it was pretty spectacular. And then I went home. And I got home and I sat down. And my black cat, Oliver jumped up beside me and started making all the sounds that he makes. He has a tremendous range of voice. We, it sounds like he's saying words and he just came up and he was just being Oliver. He was just being a cat. And I was thinking about when Jesus said, look at the birds. Remember Jesus said that? Look at the birds. And I looked at the birds and I looked at the cat. And the, the thought that occurred to me, because I was thinking about this thing of humility, was they don't, they're not trying to impress us. They're just being birds, cats, dogs. And I was jealous of them because I, dare I say, we spend so much of our lives, I want to be impressive. And it's tricky, posing, posturing. And I was jealous of these creatures that don't have this thing called the human ego, always messing with me. Humble pie. Luke 14, verse 1. Follow along. One Sabbath... When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. I've read this story lots of times, I suppose, and I think I've never really noticed about this guy. I never really thought about him, abnormal swelling in the body. Another translation says he had dropsy. I asked a doctor friend of mine, what's dropsy? And he said, it's fluid retention, probably from congestive heart disease. George Washington had it. No oxygen tanks back then. This guy probably couldn't walk from the kitchen to the couch without being completely wiped out. Bad shape. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Do you know why he asked that? Because of this legalism about rest versus work. Okay, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Is this a trick question, Jesus? They remain silent. Good idea. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And that's all we'll ever hear about this guy. Then he asked them, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the experts pastors the teachers if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the sabbath day will you not immediately pull it out and they had nothing to say you'll they're getting smarter and you notice as the life of jesus goes on that people 
are getting quieter and quieter when he asks questions. The longer it goes on, the quieter all the smarty pants people get. I've thought about that. How as I'm getting older, I want to get quieter. Sometimes we think because we're older, we have much more to say. And maybe sometimes we do. But some of us tend to go on. Think about getting quieter. Anyway, when he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. (laughs) Those are my seats. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say to you, give this person your seat. And then what? You're humiliated. You'll have to take the least important place. You might not even have a place to sit. Won't that be embarrassing? But when you are invited... Take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. What are you doing? Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And here's the sentence, brothers and sisters, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's all we need to know. But doing it. Someone invited me to go out to eat with him the other day to breakfast at an eatery in Old Town Fort Collins, a quite popular one. There's often a people waiting outside on a weekend morning for 45 minutes to an hour. This was a weekday. He says, come on. And he had two guests in, in from out of town. He said, I want you to <clears throat> meet my guests. So we went over there. And uh, when we got there, he, he just he said, oh, I want to sit at the bar around the, the bar area because Sam's working and I want my two guests to be able to meet Sam. And I said, you know, like, they're going to meet me, too. But uh, there were so there would be four of us, but there were only three open spots at the bar. And he turns to me after talking to the host or the hostess and he says, they they can't take uh, we can't hold as many as four seats at the bar, so you're, you're going to have to not be with us. <laughs> and he uninvited me. Right. <clears throat> and uh, I, I just stood there, and I was bemused. I was bemused, which is, which is like confused to the third power. <laughs> I, think I, was, I think I was humiliated... And I just looked at him for a while. He says, well, I really want him to meet Sam. And so I left. And as I was walking, he texted me. And uh, he said, sorry about that. And I texted back. And this is what I texted. It is a valuable experience that will prove useful in my public communication in the future. And that is you that is usually how I filter these things. <laughs> Have you ever had someone uninvite you? Have you ever had someone say those are my seats? Have you ever 
felt pushed to the side, humiliated. Jesus noticed how people were picking the best spots at the table. The storyteller says they were watching him carefully, but Jesus was watching too. Okay, that's good. He's also watching. He noticed people jostling for spots. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, he says. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So he tells them how to look humble and not be embarrassed. Which is interesting. Is he telling them how to pretend to be humble? He tells them, what if I'm just pretending to humble myself? Does that count? Do you know, get exalted? You know, Darren, I would exalt you. But you were pretending (laughs) to be humble. I've done that. And I've also tried to cozy up to the big shots, try to be something. But he tells them how to act humble. So my question is this. Is Jesus uh, telling them, and by extension us, how to pretend to be humble? Or is he telling us, teaching us, how to practice humility? All right. Humility is a tricky thing. Sometimes I've been humble, but then I've been proud of my humility. Like that thing at the restaurant. I handled it well. I didn't even get mad. But I'm telling you about it now. I'm bragging about my humility. (laughs) What do you do? What do you do when someone gives you a compliment? We downplay it, don't we? Hey, you're looking good. Yeah, I could stand to lose a few pounds. That's a nice shirt. This old thing got it at the thrift store. Three bucks. That was a good sermon. That's not me. That's the Lord. It wasn't that good. Well... We don't know what to do with it. We want to be thought of, well, maybe even admired. We want to be impressive. We want to be noticed. We want to be invited. But we don't want people to know that we want it. So we do the false humility thing, leastwise I do. And I think it's because we don't know who we are, really. I'm trying, we're trying to carve out an image that people will like. And and hey, if you're under like 25 and you think this is going to get easier, it's it's not going to get easier. You're going to get better at it. Your ego is going to get better at it. (laughs) So, I think it's because we don't really know who we are. We're trying not to look like we're trying to be something. I'm trying to be cool without people thinking I'm trying to be cool. When I first went to Old Town 10 years ago, I was the oldest guy there. And now I'm way the oldest guy there. <laughs> All the time. And, and uh, uh, I started wearing beanies because that was cool. I even pre- preached in a beanie one time. It's so embarrassing. I tried so hard. It's hard to be humble. Humble yourself, the Bible says. Be humble. And for God's sake, don't get proud of your humility. That'll ruin it. So, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm going to find somebody smarter than me, all right? I'm going to point you to somebody smarter. Not quite as smart as Jesus. 
C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a series of letters that this demon, Screwtape, writes to his nephew, demon, Wormwood. Now, a demon is the spiritual adversary. It is a spiritual force working against the goodness of the kingdom and the goodness of Jesus. Okay? So it's this veteran uh, demon writing letters. It's, it's, it's not a true story as far as we know. So he's giving word, Wormwood advice on what he calls the patient. The patient is a, is a British cre- recent convert to Christianity. And Wormwood has been assigned to him to ruin him. In the letters to uh, Wormwood, Screwtape will refer to the enemy. Now, the enemy <clears throat> is not... Well, the enemy is, Jesus, is God, okay? So when Screwtape says what the enemy wants, what he's actually saying is what God, what God wants. All right, and they get on the... He gets in his correspondence with Wormwood. He gets to the subject of humility, and Screwtape writes this, So, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact... All virtues are less formidable to us once the person is aware that he or she has them. But this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, By Jove, I'm being humble! And almost immediately pride, pride at his own humility will appear. You feel this? If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt, and so on, through as many stages as you please. But don't try this too long, for fear you awake his sense of humor and proportion, in which case he will merely laugh at you and go to bed. Now, Screwtape goes on to tell Wormwood that he needed to make the patient believe that humility is something other than what it is. That humility is sort of an aw shucks thing, a downplaying of what is true. So this is what Screwtape writes. You must conceal from the patient the true end of humility. Let him think of it as a certain kind of low opinion of himself and his talents. Some talents, I gather, he really has. Fix in his mind the idea that humility consists in trying to believe those talents to be less valuable than he believes them to be. No doubt they are less valuable than he believes, but that's not the point. The great thing is to make him value an opinion for some quality rather than truth, thus introducing an element of dishonesty and make-believe into the heart of what otherwise threatens to become a virtue. By this method, thousands of humans have been brought to think that humility means pretty women trying to believe they are ugly and clever men trying to believe they are fools. And since what they are trying to believe may in some cases be manifest nonsense, they cannot achieve, they they succeed in believing it, and we have the chance of keeping their minds endlessly revolving on themselves in an effort to achieve the impossible. To anticipate the enemy's strategy, we must consider his aims. This is, this is some of the most beautiful writing I've ever read now coming up. The enemy wants to bring the man to a state of, of mind, 
God. Remember, he's the enemy. The enemy wants to bring the man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in the fact without being any more or less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would be if it had been done by another. The enemy wants him in the end to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents or in a sunrise, an elephant or a waterfall, and I add a pelican or a black cat. He wants each man in the long run to be able to recognize all creatures, even himself, as glorious And excellent things. He wants to kill their animal self-love as soon as possible. But it is his long-term policy, I fear, to restore to them a new kind of self-love. A charity and gratitude for all selves, including their own. When they have really learned to love their neighbor's as themselves, they will be allowed to love themselves as their neighbors. For we must never forget what is the most repellent and and inexplicable trait in our enemy. He really, really loves the hairless bipeds he has created and always gives back to them with his right hand what he has taken away with his left. true humility is it possible takeaways now back to the bulletin let's write some things down would you I really want you to write these down takeaway number one is a question what is my hustle by that I mean is, what is my angle? How do I make, make people think this or that about me? Is my hustle posing as more than I am or posing as less than I am? Because my suggestion, my belief is that we're all insecure and we compensate for it differently, right? So we see the person that we think is arrogant and overconfident. And we don't realize that's just a hustle. Because we don't know who we are, okay? We're not okay with who we are. So what, just think about that for the next week. What's, what do I find myself when I'm posing as more than I am or when I'm posing as less than I am to appear humble? All right, takeaway number two. This isn't about thinking less of ourselves. Neither is it about thinking more of ourselves. It is about thinking rightly. Of ourselves. Now, I don't know who said that, but I read that a long time ago and I never forgot it. <clears throat> this isn't about thinking less of ourselves, neither is it about thinking more of ourselves. It is about thinking rightly of ourselves. Takeaway number three practice humility. Humility is a choice. So there's humility as a consequence. That's humble pie. 
There's a humility as a state of being. That's something else. And then there's humility as a practice. In, because this does not come naturally. Whatever comes naturally, I think, is something connected to the ego, which is more insecurity and inferiority. But true humility, thinking rightly about ourselves, that I can rejoice in the gifts God has given me. That's a different deal. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes that, that Jesus Christ did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Before that, Paul, Paul writes, count others better than yourselves. And that doesn't come naturally. But this word count, reckon, consider, it's the exact same Greek word. What they're saying is that what Jesus did was a choice. It was a practice. I will. Practice humility. Fake it till you make it. Take away number three. Make two lists. Make two lists. List number one. Am I right? Yeah. What I... Oh, sorry, I missed one. Let's go back up to number two. Number three, sorry. Practice enjoying the goodness and the gifts of others. Sorry about that. Practice enjoying the goodness and the gifts of others. Practice not needing to be first in line. Practice not being needing to be the first to speak. Let me, let me make a confession because I think sermons should be partly confessional. And that is when we are in staff meeting as pastors, and all the other pastors could tell you this about me, um, I want to be the one to say something clever or funny. I, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to make people laugh. <clears throat> the problem is I want to, make, I want to get a laugh. As, as the comedian Michael Jr. would say, instead of giving someone a reason to laugh, I want to get a laugh. You see the difference? So if I am a person who believes in the, the giving of joy and laughter, it shouldn't matter to me who did the trick. So what I have to practice in meetings and, and other settings is, like I said earlier, to shut up and not worry that someone's going to say the smart thing before I do. I'm like, Duh! You know what I mean? Anybody feel me right now? Am I the only one that wants to look clever? Practice not being first to speak. First to be clever, funny. Practice trying to put value in others. Practice how can I make others look good? Not in a phony way. All right. Work. Practice. Fight for this. It's worth it. We will grow. We will become more like Christ. Okay. Make two lists. List number one. What I like about me. <laughs> number two. List number two. What I don't like about me. And then share those lists with someone who loves you. Would you even do... Is anybody going to do that? You're not going to do that, are you? You're not going to do it. Come on. Do it. Last takeaway. Uh, Pray for the Spirit of Jesus to make it real in us. Pray for the Spirit of Jesus to make it real in us. Spirit of truth to take us to the truest versions of ourselves 
Have you ever experienced it for a minute? When you didn't care who looked good or who got the credit or who made them laugh or whose dress was the prettiest or whatever or who got to sit by dairy at at the meal after summit. Whatever. But have you... Do you know what I'm talking about? Like those moments when we practiced and it's been so hard to, and it's not because we think we're so great, although sometimes we do, but it's just those moments when we're free, like, like the, like the bird on the lake, just doing what it was meant to do. And it's beautiful and you love it. And some other people think it's great, but you don't care. You just feel free for a minute. And that is the transformational work of the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth, to take us to the truest versions of ourselves for a minute when I'm free of it, when it doesn't matter if I'm impressive and working out of peace and living out of peace. We need you, Lord. We need you. Humility is part practice and humility is part work. And humility is part the spirit. So will we open ourselves? Will we practice? But... Just as importantly, more importantly, will we say, Lord, take me to the truth, spirit of truth. Tell me who I am. Let's be silent and thoughtful and reflective for a bit here. We confess that there are times we think too much of ourselves. There are times we think too little of ourselves. It's hard to figure out how to be humble and yet not get walked on, to be strong and confident, to rejoice in our own gifts to rejoice in our own gifts that I could make a person laugh that I could be involved in in the good news that we could bake that that we could make that that we could build that that we raise those kids that we figured that out created in your image. We rejoice in the part we play. But as scary as it is, Lord, we open ourselves to take, do we? Will you? Will you say, I'll go with you, Spirit of Truth. I will practice. But there's a point, place at the center of me where I can't, I can't transform that. Will you go with me? I'm not scary, but liberating trip to who I am. We are <clears throat> we are uh, not enough, but we are enough. We are flawed. We bear the image of God. We are inadequate. We are beloved. We aren't worth it. We're worth it. Amen.
Am I supposed to invite the ushers now for a... All right. Our ushers are coming. This is the time in our service. And this, this act of worship congregationally, that we give a portion of what we have earned to this work. If you're a guest with us, we don't expect you to give, but we'll, we'll take it. I mean, you know. Um, but but uh, I know that joke every time. I just do that like three times a year. Anyway, thank you for your faithfulness. The ushers are coming and uh, to receive that. Thanks so much.